It's time to stop, collaborate, and listen. Kim is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Actually, yes. Yes, it will. That would be ridiculous if this went on forever. Musical stylings aside, let me welcome you back for the next episode of the little podcast that could, People Are Wild. Once again, I am your friendly neighborhood nurse, Kim, still here, hunkered down behind this mic, holding it down for yet another week. So, some follow-up corrections and or observations for this week. Thank you again so much for your support, and I hope you guys are having as much fun as I am with this adventure slash disaster, sometimes, of a podcast. Also, I'm going to take the opportunity to put on blast and call out people who walk slowly everywhere. The other day, I was behind slow walkers, and while it doesn't normally irritate me to the point where I feel the need to literally broadcast it, as I am right now, it was a whole family taking up the entire shared pathway. I guess we don't do sharing as caring. And they were just walking slowly while I was trying to run. You see, it's bad enough I'm outside, in the winter, running like a moron while it's relatively cold in a diluted quest to maintain some semblance of fitness. But when people just walk slowly on the pathway without any regard for other people around them, oh, here go hell come. See, I made a New Year's resolution to not murder anyone on purpose, and those people were not just getting on my nerves, they were trying my entire nervous system. So if you're a slow walker, you're a monster, you are on my naughty list, I'm just calling it like I see it. Anyways, let's dive into this episode. I am currently seated next to my Nicolas Cage pillow. I have lit my Tara Reid prayer candle, listened to Lens steal my sunshine on repeat loop for an hour, and I am ready, if you are ready, to talk about how people are wild. Except we aren't quite doing that this week. Much like the cha-cha slide, it's time to reverse, reverse, because I'm about to change course starting with this week's episode. I originally wanted to start this podcast in October of last year, just in time for Halloween, but I put the pro in procrastination, and as such, I didn't get around to it. But I was recently told by a friend that every day can be Halloween if you believe in yourself and try hard enough, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be inspired by Halloween in January. So prepare to have some fun during this week and next week, as I will be bringing you some medical myths, urban legends, and maybe even some conspiracy theories. Holla at me, Jesse Ventura. I really wish your show was still on True TV. Now, there are so many myths and urban legends to cover. So if I don't get to something over the course of these episodes, just let me know, and I'll figure out how to cover it in the future. No listener gets left behind on my watch. So let's get into it. I heard about this story back in about, I want to say 2009, and it was from a friend of mine who told me about her friend, Rebecca, and she was walking with her fiance down the famed Las Vegas Strip, and it was her first time in Vegas, and they were there for her fiance's billiards tournament, which, okay, by the way, billiards, what even are you? I have never played an actual game of billiards in my life, but I've stood by many a billiards table, and I have held a pool cue like a boss. See, I associate billiards with the 3 a.m. ESPN 8 The Ochos lineup after, like, blindfolded darts, but right before the National Collegiate Jump Roping Championships. 
that's where I imagine a billiards tournament would be broadcast on like national television. So side note again, it's like two side notes. Um, if you've been there, do you remember the first time you went to Las Vegas and how exciting it was to walk the strip at night with the Bellagio fountains going off and everywhere is lit up and there's this hum with movement and excitement and the city feels electrified and the people watching, oh, golden. And then you walk the strip during the day and it's the weirdest and nastiest thing ever. Like you experience... I don't know, so many different levels of maybe Dante's hell just walking between one casino to the next. And I remember that when I was 10, I went with my family to Vegas and someone handed me a flyer for a strip club up the street that serves chicken tenders 24-7, amongst other things they serve. And my dad smacked it out of my hand so fast, I swear he broke some sort of time-speed barrier that would have allowed a DeLorean to go back to the future. Anyways, let's get back to Rebecca. So she steps off the curb, getting ready to cross the street with her fiancé. A normal, benign act, right? Taking in that Las Vegas scenery and grime. But then suddenly, and without warning, she falls down and was dead by the time she landed on the pavement. So talk about Vegas dealing you a shitty hand, and she wasn't even playing blackjack. But did this actually happen? Did a woman die simply by crossing the street in Las Vegas? Unfortunately, it actually did happen. But none of that stuff about my friend of a friend is true. Rebecca Longhofer, unfortunately and tragically, did meet her demise in Las Vegas. She was a mother of four who was electrocuted in mid-stride when she stepped on a cast iron plate on a traffic island. And we've all seen those before. The plates that cover the electrical wiring that probably feeds the traffic signals. But on this particular day, and before this day, it had been soaked by a heavy downpour, and it was actually obscured by a puddle several inches deep. The thing about Las Vegas and the Southwest is that they're desert. It's a desert state and it's a desert climate. And a lot of people love to bless the rains down on Las Vegas Boulevard. But for Rebecca Longhofer, it ended up costing her her life. A major electrocution will throw the heart into either a lethal rhythm that needs to be corrected immediately or can even just stop the heart completely and suddenly, leading to a death that occurs instantaneously our heart fires off electrical impulses. And if something hijacks it from its normal rate and rhythm, the heart can no longer pump normally. Lightning strikes or major electrocutions can cause this electrical misfire of the heart that throws it into a fatal rhythm. But if you're able to get a person to the hospital and stabilized and monitored closely, they might have a better outcome. Unfortunately, Rebecca stood no chance when her foot stepped on the street and then landed on the plate. It was a freak accident that took a mother, fiancé, daughter, and friend away from the world much too soon. Okay, how is it that I always keep doing topics that are like bummers and downers? Let's try and make things a little bit more lighthearted. I promised you fun. I'm going to give you some fun. So, I actually heard about this one from one of my paramedic pals, and I want to say it happened like maybe two years ago, and they had responded to a call 
that had actually been a little bit chaotic when they came on the scene. So here's how it went down. My buddy and his partner are dispatched to a home where they find a man unconscious in his bedroom with blood coming from his head. And he's dressed as Superman. So they get to the home and they find that the neighbors will take the wife with them to the ER, trailing behind the ambulance as best as they can as they make their way to the hospital. Now, at this point, by the time they had loaded him up, the man had started to regain consciousness and he was talking with everybody, answering questions and then asking some questions because he was more upset that the paramedics had cut him out of his Superman costume, which let me just tell you. People always get so upset when we have to cut off their clothing to see if, I don't know, you're dying or bleeding out. In fact, one time, someone got so pissed off at me because I cut off their favorite sweatshirt from some concert they went to that I was convinced they were going to take a swing at me like they were Apollo Creed. Not sure how they would have done that, though, because I think that person had two broken arms, but they would have probably found a way. They were that upset by what I had done. But listen... The concert you went to and the band that you saw, Creed, is atrocious, and I was doing you a favor, trust me, saving your life in more ways than one. Anyways, back to our story. On the ambulance ride to the hospital, my friend had been a bit baffled by this whole situation, since it was the middle of March, and this guy was dressed as Superman. So maybe he was doing what I'm doing, living every day like it's Halloween. But he wasn't. Not quite. The man actually started telling him, the paramedic, my friend, about what really happened that night. So it turns out the couple is into role-playing and fantasies, which is no judgment over here. This podcast does not judge, as long as things are consensual and safe. So this couple was playing out some scene that involved the Mr. being Superman, and I guess we can assume the Mrs. was Lois Lane. Anyways, Clark Kent attempted to leap from the dresser like he's Jimmy Superfly Snooker going off the top rope, except he did not stick the landing like Carrie Strug. Instead, his head kissed the ceiling fan, and he proceeded to knock himself out as if LL Cool J's mama told him to. Unlucky for the missus, she had been tied up to the bed and could only yell for help while her unconscious husband messed up the carpeted floor with his damn bleeding head wound. Her neighbors happened to be sitting outside, and they heard her screams. So they rushed over and they found the scene, which prompted them to call 911, help the missus out of her situation, and to look decent before the medics came on scene. And now we have our exposition. Now, this is a good outcome. Clark Kent did make it out A-OK. He needed to have some stitches and was told to dial down his bedroom acrobatics for the time being. So, did this actually happen? Yes and no. I can tell you, having worked many Halloween nights, that I have seen my fair share of costume patients that end up in, we'll say, risky and risque situations. Looking at you, dude who got stabbed by a Power Ranger while he was wearing a Ninja Turtle costume, Michelangelo would never allow that to happen. But as for any kinky sex-related injuries, well, that's something in a whole different league for maybe something else down the road. So while this story, with a few tweaks and modifications, is somewhat of an urban legend, it actually can be plausible in a lot of ERs. 
I can honestly say that I have seen some sex sent me to the ER moments. So again, this tall tale, which actually began being told apparently in the 1970s, in the grand scheme of things, it might not be so much of a grand legend these days. People will do some pretty intense role-playing scenarios that have had rather unexpected results that land a person in the ER. So here's my word of advice. If you end up seeing us in the ER because of sex gone wrong, just be honest about how it happened. That's all I ask. Because when a person checks in for chest pain, and then you tell me when you've been taken back to the room that you never had chest pain, you were just too embarrassed to check in because you have an apple stuck up your butt from a sex game gone wrong, I'm totally judging you for a long extended period of time. Because you made us rush you back. We don't mess around with things like chest pain and shortness of breath. And then you tell us that the true reason you came in was because of a foreign object that was stuck in your butt. Oh, let me just tell you, we are going to be talking about your x-ray for days, weeks, months, and probably years to come. You see, it looked like a Macintosh. Maybe a Brayburn was stuck up there. And I guess an apple a day didn't quite keep the doctor away. Okay, so I looked at some beta the other day, and I saw that I have some UK listeners, which is awesome, and hello. Uh, And I wanted you guys to feel represented, especially in this little episode that I'm doing. So I'm going to go across the pond for a second, and let's talk about a UK-inspired medical myth. Okay, can Marmite help with curing premature ejaculation. Now, before we go any further, let me just declare that my allegiance is to Vegemite. And I'm sure I just alienated maybe my UK listeners, but honestly, okay, I've never tried Marmite, and I just have a thing for Vegemite. In fact, I have three jars of it in my van right now, and it's so good and amazing and just savory once you actually know how to use it. Don't Don't do that stupid thing that we do where you take a spoonful of it and you try and eat it all at once, because that just makes Americans look stupid to Aussies. Just that. I'm sure it's just that that makes us look stupid. But I need to just give a big shout out to my Australian co-workers who I worked with a few years ago and taught me how to properly enjoy Vegemite using the beautiful combination of Vegemite and butter. Delicious. You guys are the real MVPs. Now, if somebody wants to tell me how Marmite is superior, please do, and then send me some so I can judge for myself. Except maybe the male population among you, don't send me your Marmite. You might actually need it to make sure you don't get excited too quickly in the bedroom. Once again, can Marmite help with curing premature ejaculation? Yes and no. So a study around, let's see, uh, 109 subjects showed in 2016, this was when it was done, showed that there is a significant correlation between premature ejaculation and deficiencies in vitamin B12. My God, how many times am I going to say premature ejaculation today? I don't know. A connection that other work has hinted at for decades. So they've been no, they knew that B12 deficiencies might be associated with why uh, premature ejaculation occurs. And Marmite is actually fortified with B12. 
And so it's seen as actually a good source of the vitamin. But the research in this study did not full-on test to see if you use Marmite as an effective therapy for premature ejaculation. Um, it didn't even test B12 in and of itself as a therapy for it. So it wasn't going to go that extra step and be like, well, let's talk about Marmite and other foods that have B12 that might be used for therapy for this problem. Um by the way, this is with the understanding that you don't just like lather yourself up in Marmite and then just go for it. It's saying that Marmite, you would use it in some way that you would eat it and ingest it. So you're just eating the Marmite. You're not getting crazy and going all weird with it. So even though this never was made like this direct link between Marmite and B12 um, and curing, I guess, premature ejaculation was made, the Daily Mail decided to publish an article that stated that Marmite is a confirmed 100% cure for this problem. But the thing about the Daily Mail is, and I'm sure people in the UK can attest to it, is that it's not really known for verifying sources. And this is probably how this medical myth started running rampant as being a true fact and Marmite being seen as a proven cure for premature ejaculation. So the takeaway is this, maybe Marmite will help because there is a deficiency in vitamin B12 when it comes to uh, premature ejaculation, but it's never been tested as a proven tried and true cure. So if you're in the UK, perhaps you can come up with your own experiment. And if you do, please report back to me on your results. Maybe you'll be able to convert some people from Vegemite to Marmite for that reason alone. I don't know. All I keep imagining, though, is that some guy is about to get lucky in the bedroom. And then before he gets down to business, he stops for a Marmite and toast break to fortify himself before the activity is ahead. Like just like some guy just standing at the foot of the bed, eating toast all centrally, considering it foreplay, because that'll set the mood, right? But if Marmite really isn't your style, good news, cereal is fortified with B12, so maybe it's better to carry out this experiment by just eating a bowl of Lucky Charms before getting lucky. So, a few years back, I heard a story about a guy who vaped and ended up causing a hole in his lung. I asked one of my nurse friends about what he heard happened because the guy ended up being at their hospital. And he said that he actually happened to be working in the ER that night when this young guy came in with a horrible cough, difficulty breathing, and chest tightness. So they bring the guy back, they start hooking him up to monitoring equipment, and then they also got him into a hospital account at the same time, which, ugh, the lovely and fashionable one-size-fits-none hospital gown. How come Project Runway hasn't done a challenge to make hospital gowns more flattering and chic? I could see like a red carpet special where Juliana Rancic or Ryan Seacrest ask a celebrity, what are you wearing? And the celeb responds, oh, St. Joe's Medical Center. But, you know, Ryan Seacrest, he's good people. He would probably not make anything awkward. He's learned from his American Idol days where he tried to high five that blind guy. You got to see that video. And also, speaking of American Idol, does anyone know if Brian Dunkelman's doing okay? Back to our story. 
young man with difficulty breathing and chest pains is being assessed while changing into his hospital gown. As he's doing this, he's passing over his wallet and phone and keys to his girlfriend. And wait a second, there's a vape device sort of maybe leaking? So apparently a nurse spots this and decides instinctively to place the vape pen on oxygen tubing to see and check if there was a leak. And sure enough, when it happened, the pen started to drip and there was a leak associated with it. And that'll come into play just in a little bit. So they do their workup on this guy. And you know what? I'm kind of tired of calling him this guy. I'm going to call him Richard. Dick for short. Okay. Good old Dick was told after his workup and test results came back that his right lung was working at just 25% capacity. He was baffled and just all out confused. Dick wasn't even in his 30s. So what takes a relatively healthy young guy to have only 25% working capacity of his right lung? And why is this doctor asking so many questions about his smoking habits? What the hell does a vape have to do with his newly diagnosed horrible lung? Well, the story goes on that they noticed that when the vape when they noticed that the vape pen was leaking and they took his prior medical history They said that we think that the vape pen might have burned a hole in your lung. But how? This probably happened because very hot e-liquid shot out of the vape's cartridge into Dick's mouth, then traveled down his throat before landing inside his lung and burning a hole in it. It was a million to one shot, Doc. A million to one shot. But this whole story like the sequel slash rebooted version of Flatliners that shouldn't have been made but was made and came out last year, is a stinking pile of garbage. Yes, it is a more modern-day medical urban legend that has been sprouting up as of late and, again, with urban legends, twisted and modified here and there along the way. But, funnily enough, it was reported to be truth in one publication that was not the Daily Mail, it was actually The Sun, But the credibility of the story's details, even within the article, leads again to the fact that it is rather implausible. Because here's the thing. This probably would have been something that you would see in other people. An adverse reaction to having inhaled fumes or steam at a high temperature would lead to holes being formed in people who regularly smoke cigarettes, weed, or chefs, firemen, people who are always exposed to this sort of thing. Also, Dick's mouth and throat would more than likely have some sort of burn or at least injury as a result of swallowing superheated liquid as it traveled down into his lungs. But there is this uh, element of some plausibility to this story. Because if anything, spitback, which is what occurs when there's accidental swallowing or aspiration of heated liquid droplets, is indeed a common complaint among those who vape. But most users describe the experience as a mild inconvenience and not anything that would require a visit to the ER and a subsequent hospitalization. But even if that were something that did happen... Again, there would be other injuries to the mouth and throat. So, 
the article kind of debunked itself, which is kind of hilarious, and it accidentally discredited itself. It mentioned in the article that the equipment that Dick was using was also on the low end of wattage for vaping, so that makes it seem as though the liquid wouldn't even be hot enough to burn anything. Now, the thing is, this might have been based upon the fact that a gentleman did actually end up hospitalized as a result of using his e-cigarette or vape in some fashion, but it wasn't because he burned a hole in his lung. He might have had something like an asthma attack or just something that irritated his respiratory system that led to a hospitalization. But there was more than likely no injury to his lung directly as a result of a vaping device. But I can confirm that I have had some firsthand experience with seeing some, we'll call them vape mishaps, that have occurred and landed a person in the ER. A few years back, we actually saw a trend of young adults and, God love them, dumbass teenagers, attempting to get high by taking the nicotine cartridges that are in a vape or e-cig, and they would actually drink them, as in down it all at once, like the bartender just put out a free tequila shot in front of them. This was all, again, in a bid to get high. Unfortunately for them, it didn't work, and it landed them in the ER for acute nicotine poisoning, and that's never a good look to sport. But you'll probably survive, and possibly even learn something from it. But probably not. If you think drinking things that thing, that say do not drink is something to do when you're bored, I don't even want to know what you do around glow sticks. But it could always be worse when it comes to vaping mishaps and accidents, which is what happened to an unfortunate soul who ended up in our ER one night. You see, homeboy was doing nothing but chilling, relaxing, all cool, but not shooting b-ball outside of school. Instead, he was hanging out on his porch, observing his household rules of smoking outside, even with the vape. His wife was inside when she heard a loud pop and simultaneous yell from the porch. She ran outside to find her husband on the ground holding his face. Okay, so let me warn you. This is the part that gets a little graphic. And whenever I'm going to describe graphic things, I like to give warnings. I like to term it as the cut, as in you can cut this part out and skip ahead to meet me at the end, because what I am about to describe is not for those who are squeamish. So let's get into the cut. His wife had rushed out to find her husband writhing in pain on the porch, his hands cradling his face. He was crying out and trying to talk, but it was garbled. And as she went to kneel down next to him, she noticed that there was blood pouring around where his hands were. And his hands were located on the lower part of his face. She was able to gently remove his hands by placing her own over his and guiding him away from his face. Now, with those hands out of the way, her stomach started to turn as she was able to take a better look at what was going on. The left side of her husband's face, from the nose down, was thrashed and mangled, pulled apart like shredded chicken that had been marinating in a crockpot for hours. Did I just ruin that for you? More than likely. She also noticed teeth on the porch right by his head. And then she noticed that it looked like these bigger pieces were scattered around the teeth. 
She didn't quite connect it then, but that was part of her husband's jawbone. She fumbled around for a bit trying to process what had happened and noticed that while he was on his back, he had begun to choke a bit on his blood. So she rolled him and kept him up on his side so he wouldn't keep swallowing back his own blood and teeth as she took her cell phone from her pocket and managed to call 911. He was transported rather quickly to the ER, where the whole story finally came together. So, despite her husband having a need for the nicotine, he wanted to cut down because they had two small kids. So she had two rules for him in pursuit of non-smoking. Rule one was if he had to smoke, it needed to be a vape or an e-cig. And rule two, it had to be outside. Not in the car, not in the house, outside on the porch. And he was really good about sticking to the rules. But on that particular night, he just needed to have a few drags, just needed to go through the motions. He was waiting on a call back after having a job interview. His nerves needed to be settled, and smoking had always been a good way for him to relax. Now, it had been a while since he needed to use his vape, and so he really didn't pay any attention or hear about the recall that had happened regarding the cartridges he kept in his vape. The manufacturer of those cartridges was forced to issue it when it was determined that they can overheat and cause burns from being in place too long due to faulty wiring of some of the devices with the adaption of the cartridges in that device. So it was the concern that it caused burns and possibly might even explode. Kind of like what happened to those Samsung phones uh, not too long ago, which I always thought was probably the easiest marketing Apple Apple, sorry, ever had to do. You know, buy an iPhone. It won't explode in your back pocket. Thanks, Steve Jobs. So this guy, again, hadn't really paid attention to any of those recalls. He went to use his vape. The cartridge had overheated. And the next thing he knew, it exploded in his mouth while he was trying to de-stress over the day's events. Not relaxing at all. Definitely not Zen moments. The injuries he sustained include major facial trauma in that he had a gaping hole on the left side of his lower, lower part, sorry, the left lower part of his face under his nose. He also lost part of his jaw on the left side. A good number of his teeth were knocked out and he had some tongue injury as well. He was stabilized and later sent to a trauma facility that was able to do reconstructive surgery, but it would take him a while for him to fully recover. And the last I heard, there was actually some sort of fundraiser page sort of situation going on because he was that where our hospital was, was his hometown. So they were doing a lot of bake sales and fundraisers to help offset medical bills. And I also heard that he officially had quit smoking. So I guess in a weird way, yay. And this actually did happen. This is all based off a true event. And I can assure you that it was a sight to behold. It really, we thought it really looked like a shotgun had taken off like half of this guy's face. And it was gnarly. But the strangest part was that it stemmed from a vape. So the moral of the story, always keep up to date with any recalled products that you might use in any way in your daily life. You never know when your brakes might go out, your lettuce might have E. coli, or your e-cig might decide to give you a reason to get reconstructive surgery unexpectedly. So, let's round this out with a medical myth palate cleanser of sorts. 
Can you get a DUI from drinking vanilla extract? The answer is yes. Apparently you can. So the Adams Township Police had a bit of a littering problem they were trying to solve. They were trying to catch a suspect who had been throwing empty bottles of vanilla extract off the road and apparently had been doing it for years. And it was only vanilla extract bottles that was being tossed, nothing else. And we aren't talking a few bottles here and there. I'm talking bags and bags, like trash bags, filled to the brim with empty vanilla extract bottles. The bags actually had been found by road workers who were doing construction, and they had brought it to the attention of the Adams Township Police. Now, the police set up cameras, and they caught their suspect on camera throwing out empty bottles of vanilla extract. Then they were able to follow and ID the suspect's vehicle, and they made a traffic stop that ended up turning into arrest for a DUI. So what happened? Well, 61-year-old Mary Ranker was found to have been sipping on some 70-proof alcohol in an, in an 8-ounce bottle. And she also, in her vehicle at the time of the traffic stop, had five more 2-ounce bottles in her vehicle. But what was her liquor of choice? Yep, vanilla extract. I'm sure the police had like a mic drop moment when they saw that and everything clicked and the light bulbs went off. But when you step back, it actually becomes a little bit sad as more of the details populate the story. So a person that lived near where the bottles had been found for years said that he had picked up as many as 110 bottles at one time. And honestly, I just think that drinking vanilla extract in order to get a buzz sounds like something that teenagers will try to do uh, until they can get a fake ID and buy actual booze. And it's just it just reminds me of like just the stupid stuff teenagers do in order to try and get high or try and get buzzed and drunk, like drinking nicotine cartridges or taking a bunch of Imodium in order to try and get high. And it makes you wonder who was the first person to both try it and live to tell their friends about it as a new way of doing something like getting drunk or high without anyone noticing using legal means. Just do whippets, kids. Just do whippets like teenagers are supposed to. Because I'm sure Mary Ranker probably wished that she had some whippets when her blood alcohol was found to be at 0.128%. So vanilla extract does contain upwards of 35% alcohol. And if you're a apparently chronic vanilla extract enthusiast, you will run an actual blood alcohol level that is above the legal limit. And so she was charged with DUI. And the original purpose of the police work, littering. She had a DUI charge and, of course, the littering charge. And so Mary later explained to authorities that she was a recovering alcoholic who had felt more comfortable buying vanilla extract from the grocery store than going to a liquor store. And you know what? Give me a drunk person in the ER who smells like vanilla over anything else that a drunk person might smell like, and I will gladly take them. But I guess Mary had decided that instead of choosing between which Betty she liked, she would just become a Betty, a Betty Crocker Baker 
who was in desperate need of a Betty Ford clinic. I don't really have much follow-up about whether or not she was able to get help, but I sincerely hope that she is now using vanilla extract for its intended purposes and not for alcoholic purposes, I suppose. So, have you ever seen a person wipe out while riding a Segway? I have, and it's hilarious. So speaking of segues, let's awkwardly transition into my favorite game that is sweeping the nation, You Got What Stuck Where. Yes, we've reached that point in the episode where it's time for me to give you four clues, and you tweet at me, at People Are Wild, with your guess. If you're 100% correct, or at least most correct, you get stickers, because that's all I got for you at this point. And I will post the picture of what got stuck where. Now, I'm going to enact a new tweak on this game, because much like Calvin Ball, I'm making the rules up as I go and modifying them to suit my needs. From this point forward, one of the clues will actually tell you the where, as in where it got stuck. But I refuse to change the name because I'm proud of making this up, so I'm going to retain it, and that's that. Now, here we go. Clue one. This happened in Florida. This is my first Florida case. How is it that it took three episodes for that to happen? Florida, God bless you. You're the little state that could. So, clue one, happened in Florida. Clue two, there was a gun involved, but probably not the kind of gun that you're thinking of right now. Think a little bit outside the box, but not too far outside the box. Clue number three. It happened to a teenage boy who I am pleased to say survived after a three-hour surgery to remove the object in question. And clue four, the object stuck in his skull was three feet long. Yikes. So tweet at me, at peoplearewild, with your guess. And hell, you can even use my email address to give me a guess if you like to roll like that. I am at peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. Now, join me back here next week for part two. I'm thinking about throwing in some conspiracies in there, but only if the government will let me. And even if they don't, let's become a little bit of a pirate podcast, exposing the truth. Tamiflu is a con. You know it is. So have a great week. Stay safe out there and live every day like it's Taco Tuesday.